You're listening to Pastor Jared Ruddy of City Lights Church. We're working through the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. And if you have the scripture with you this morning or in the seat back in front of you, go ahead and, and just grab that, open it up with me. Mark chapter 2, verse 23, 23 through 28. Uh, we at City Lights here have decided rather than just kind of picking random topics, we would pick a, a book of the Bible and then let that really uh, steer the ship for where we're going. And because of that, it, it leads us in some very interesting directions. Um, this morning, I'm actually really thrilled because I believe the last song that we sang uh, was prophetic in that God is trying to speak something to our hearts this morning, and I feel like uh, this really does have the potential to be, um, I want to be careful in making bold claims, but I, I do believe that this is life-changing or has the ability to truly change our lives. I'm really hoping that I have the uh, ability to communicate this the way that I need to this morning. So Mark chapter 2, verse 23 through 28. Now, if you recall last week, we spoke about Jesus' confrontation with the Pharisees. And in doing so, uh, they come up to him and they ask him, well, Jesus, why are your disciples not fasting? And maybe you recall this. And they said, why aren't you fasting? And fasting is when uh, people will withdraw from food or drink, preferably food, for an uh, extended period of time to focus on God. And the Pharisees were absolutely confused because they say, on one side we see John the Baptist, who was this prophet, this godly man who's fasting, and we see the Pharisees, who are also these very zealous religious people that are fasting, but that we look at you, and your disciples don't fast at all. And Jesus responds and says this, can, the, can they fast while the bridegroom is with them? In other words, who goes to a party, who goes to a wedding and says, no, I'm fasting? Like, you're, you know, the, the cookie tray's out, and you're, you're on a low-carb diet. You're like, no, I can't have those. Jesus is saying, I am the feast. I'm the party, and you're trying to fast. You're not discerning the times. And then Jesus looks at them and then uses two analogies, and he says this. Who sews on an old cloth onto a new cloth? Eventually it will tear away. Who puts new wine into an old wineskin? Eventually it will ferment, and you'll lose both. So Jesus then continues Right after, we kind of enter in over the next few weeks into this kind of back and forth between Jesus' healings and his confrontation with the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of Jesus' day who guarded God's law. Now, what's interesting about that is we have to be careful that we don't demonize them uh, uh, completely. We understand that Nicodemus, in the book of John chapter 3, was actually uh, a Pharisee. He was a religious leader. He came to Jesus, and some of them were actually interested in who Jesus was. But the vast majority of them actually demonized Jesus. And what we find here is in uh, Mark chapter 2, 23 through 28, Jesus really goes to the heart, to the center of the religious leaders of their day, uh, to their idol. Let's read together. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain field, And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? I want you to to take note of that. And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him. How he entered into the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And also he gave it to those that were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. The Sabbath, if you're familiar with this, it starts off, finds its roots in the beginning of creation, that God creates this world. 
And in doing so, he takes six days. I don't know if that was six 24-hour days or if it was 6,000-year days. Whatever it was, he created the earth in some way. And in God doing it, he set up this, that I would work for six, and after the six, then I would command you to rest. We see that this then kind of makes a reappearance and is modified at the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. Now, we all know the Ten Commandments are no enough of them to get ourselves in trouble or out of trouble. The Ten Commandments, and at that time, God says in commandment number four, to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Now, what's interesting about this is that God uh, really does not tell us specifically on how we are to do that other than don't work. All right? he, says, he says, don't work, keep it holy, honor the Sabbath. But what the traditions of the elders did was that they broke down how to keep the Sabbath holy, watch this, into 39 main categories. 39 main categories. Now, I'm not going to read all of them uh, because it it actually kind of gets exhausting just thinking about it. And it's on the Sabbath, so I'm trying to rest. No pun intended, all right? You can't carry. You can't burn things. um, You're not able to extinguish things, which is really bad if there is a fire and you can't put it out. And I'm just kidding. That's one exclusion to it. You are able to put out fires if it's burning and it's life-threatening. But if it's not, you can't use cell phones because today, anyways, there's really interesting as you begin to read about the Sabbath, how this translates into uh, modern-day life. And they say you can't use cell phones because it uses electricity, which electricity is a firing of sorts. So it starts a fire, so you can't use electricity. So you can't use cell phones. You can't turn on lights, but you can do this. You can set on a timer that will turn the lights on for you if you're savvy. I, if I was Jewish, I'd be the guy that lived in the dark all the time. I'm just not that good with that kind of stuff. But what's interesting is they break this down into 39 categories. You can't tear things, you can't build things, you can't write things, you can't erase things, you can't cook things, you can't wash things, sew things, tear things, knot things, untie things, shape things, and plow things, plant things, reap things, harvest things, thresh things, winnowing, select things, sift things, grind things, kneading, and about 16 other things. But what's amazing about this is that the elders or the Pharisees created this tradition around the Sabbath. That originally the Sabbath, God just said, don't work. And he gave them kind of some overarching things, but he doesn't go into detail over and over and over and say, you can't do this, but this, but this, but this. But they begin to break it down, and the tradition of the elders said this, that these 39 categories were not something that God gave and inspired and said, do not do these, but it was actually 39 categories from how God directed the instruction of the building of the Old Testament temple. Let me explain. Uh, God comes to a man named Abram. He changes his name to Abraham. Abram is the son of an idol maker. Now, this is great news for us because Christianity in its very roots is not built on our effort, but on Christ's creative word. So God comes to this man, an idol maker, and says, I'm going to bless you. Why am I going to bless you? Because I'm choosing you. Because God chooses who he's going to bless. And it's not on the basis of your works, but on grace through faith. And then out of this man named Abraham, 12 tribes come, and the 12 tribes of Israel. And then ultimately, God comes to a man named Moses. And in Exodus chapter 20, we see that he goes up on the mountain. He gets these Ten Commandments. I'm fast-forwarding a lot, I know. But God tells him, I want you to build a temple. And this temple is where I'm going to reside. My presence is going to meet with my people, and I'm going to set up a sacrificial system because you're not holy enough to meet with me. 
Because I'm God, I'm good, I'm perfect, I'm righteous, I love you enough, but I can't accept you just the way you are in in your uh, idolatry and your sinfulness. So I'm going to set up a sacrificial system. And in doing so, you can sacrifice, make these sacrifices, and then come in and meet with me in this temple. So what happens, though, is that the people of God at this time begin to break down the Sabbath. And rather than what was created, what's interesting about this, is rather than what was created to have them rest from their labors became something that was more laborious than rest. This is interesting. What's amazing about this is that there is no command, actually, there is no command about harvesting in the sense, actually now the the tradition of the elders breaks that into that, but originally there is no break in the Sabbath against collecting uh, a food. And Jesus is saying this, King David breaks the law of God. What was the law of God? You could not eat the bread of the presence, this holy bread that was set up in the temple. And Jesus is saying, hold on, you're upset with me because King David, let me remind you, broke into the temple when he was on the run from King Saul, and my man was hungry. So what did he do? There was nothing there, and the priest gave him the bread of the presence, sacred bread that would only be able to be consumed by the priest. David wasn't a priest. David eats it. And Jesus looks at him. What's interesting about this is that they get upset with him, not because he was eating, but because he was working on the Sabbath. This is is the crux of this. They're upset because Jesus is plucking and his disciples are plucking the wheat off the top, the grains off the top. They're upset that he's working. That's considered work. What's amazing about this, when we look at the book of Matthew, chapter 12, Matthew is the same story as Mark chapter 2, overlays. What's amazing about this is that Jesus responds to them with this response. He says this, Have you not read that David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, someone greater than the temple is here. Jesus says, I tell you, someone greater than the temple is here. Now, I know we're using a lot of Old Testament uh, language here, so it it, it might feel like a ping pong game for just a second, but just, just track with me here. Jesus says to them, someone before you is greater than the temple that you have. Meaning this, the Sabbath is not... Man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for man. Jesus is saying, you have to get back to the original intent of what religion is all about. What is that about meeting with God for yourself? The Sabbath was not derived in the book of Exodus. The Sabbath was not one of the Ten Commandments. The reason that we honor the Sabbath and how we do that is not the Ten Commandments. It goes back to creation. Sabbath was the original Father's Day. Sabbath was the original Father's Day where Adam would meet with God. God was not trying to say, you know what, how can I make this Christianity thing, or at that time it wasn't referred as Christianity, how can I make this fellowship with me as burdensome as possible? So what am I going to do? I'm going to make it, how can you as burdenlessly rest from burdens? So I'm going to give you 39 ways to not do this. Come on. I, I, I can barely remember like three things. I struggle taking out the trash at times. Now, God gives me 39 things. Do not do this. 
I started reading a little bit about the Sabbath and trying to figure out, you know, how does that blend into today? And it's amazing because right at the top of the Orthodox Union's, uh, the Orthodox Jewish Union's website, they, they talk about this, that this may appear as a burden. May, appear, may appear as a burden. I'm thinking, you know, uh, my goal is to brush my teeth twice a day. That's my goal. I do that. I, I, I stick with that. 39 things. Now, I'm not trying to attack the Sabbath. What I'm trying to show is this that this is the crux of what the Pharisees did in their day. And if we are not careful what our hearts do to us today, we place our works above God's work. What's amazing about this is that God was trying to show us at the very fundamental essence of who we are, we are not fully capable of working all the time. We have to rest. We come to a point where we burn out. I was praying one day and... uh, it was really interesting. The Lord convicted me personally um, of just something that I was doing. And it came into my relationship with the Lord and in regards to reading the scripture. I love reading the Bible. I think it's exciting. But I started reading the Bible and, um, you know, just that became almost my relationship with God. Now, I, want, I want to make this very clear. Our relationship with God is not reading the Bible. The re- reading the Bible gives us the grounds to have a relationship with God. Very, dis- very different. And if you're thinking, well, I'm not sure about that. Well, let me just say this. They didn't have the 66 canon, the books of the Bible, for a few hundred years after Jesus. All right? The canon didn't actually come into existence for a few hundred years after. Our relationship with God is not built on just reading the Bible and closing it. So I'm kind of praying, and the Lord shows me this picture in my heart. And it's this uh, stacks of keys that begin to just pile up. And I see just this room, and keys start being poured out. Poured out, poured out, tons of keys, tons of keys, tons of keys. And I'm realizing there's a door. And as I'm looking at this door, now I'm recognizing I'm trying to pull this door open. I'm having this picture in my heart. And I can't get the door open anymore because the keys are in the way. And I'm like, okay. And and the Lord just speaks into my heart and goes, Jared, you're missing the point here. The point here is not memorizing the key. It's opening the door. Luke eleven fifty two, and I started reading about this. I thought, okay, God, this is kind of odd that you'd show this to me. He says this to the Pharisees, woe to you lawyers. You're building a case for yourself and in due condemning the very thing that saves you. And they says this, you've taken away the key of knowledge. You've hindered those that are trying to enter and you've not entered yourself. God convicted me right there in that moment. I recognized, hold on, I'm missing the point of this. The point of this is not bolstering my uh, spiritual equity. It's knowing God. The point of Christianity is not to be able to move around and navigate as if God looks at us and watches. How do you uh, really work through those 39 things? If you avoid things, then you're in. If you do something, you're out. Jesus claims to be our perfect Sabbath perfect Sabbath. Hebrews chapter 4, and I won't read it, I'll just recount it because it's a lot of text today. Hebrews chapter 4, it's really interesting. The book of Hebrews is kind of this uh, book that looks back at the Old Testament, and in doing so, it connects it to Christ. It's almost like connecting the dots on every point. When you read the book of Hebrews, you, you really need to kind of have a background in the Old Testament so that it makes sense. We come into Hebrews chapter 4, and what's amazing about this is that he begins to talk about the Sabbath. He begins to talk about rest. And he keeps saying that people are missing it. First he says that Moses missed the Sabbath. That if they're taking a Sabbath, then the very thing that they're supposed to be resting in, they're missing it. Then he goes on to Joshua, Moses' spiritual son. And he says he misses it again, so God promises another rest. 
Finally, he shows us that Jesus is our Sabbath. Jesus is our Sabbath. It's amazing to me. Christianity, unlike any other religion, religion says that if I work, I can rest. You ever notice that? Every other religion says that if I can work enough, or actually in Judaism's sake, if I can rest enough, then I'll, then I'll, which I'm saying rest enough as in avoiding 39 different unique facets. But Christianity, unlike that, says this, Christ is our Sabbath. Our rest is in God. We then see this, that Jesus begins to demonstrate what this means. He continues his conflict. Mark chapter 2, if we can continue reading just for one moment. Mark chapter 2. That's Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 2. That's Mark chapter 3. Okay, Mark chapter 2. There we go. Actually, Mark chapter 3. That is Mark chapter 3. That's why I'm looking at it. I'm like, why is that Mark chapter 3? Jesus then again confronts them, and this is what it says. And he entered the synagogue, and a man with him with a withered hand. There was a man with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus. This is amazing. They watched him to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. What what were they going to accuse Jesus of? There's no law in the Old Testament that says, thou shalt not heal, or thou shalt not heal on the Sabbath. What I even love about that even more is that the Pharisees couldn't heal him. They couldn't heal him in the first place. That's why the man has a withered hand. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill. But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. This is amazing. This is what religion does. Religion tries to control something that we have no, no real uh, power or responsibility or no part in. We have no part in this. And it's amazing how the human heart still tries to do this. The human heart looks at God and we recognize, you know what, although you're holy, I really think there's something in me that I could do enough to, to, to kind of gain your affection, to gain your attention. We're trying to control things that we have no power in doing. And Jesus is trying to say, the point of the temple is that the temple was going to foreshadow something bigger and greater than itself. A time where God would meet with people personally. That the temple was not something that was going to be this eternal, external symbol. It was a symbol of what was going to come in Christ. Book of John tells us, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt there is the word tabernacled. God tabernacled among us. Jesus, the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, is standing right in front of them. And he's trying to say this. Listen, you're missing the point. You're trying to work for something you have no no business in. You have no business in trying to please God in your own human ability. You can't. You've got a withered hand. You can't heal yourself. This witheredness speaks of our inerrant and intrinsic brokenness. That if we really get honest with ourselves, like I did yesterday, I recognized some areas of my life. I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, wow, God, I'm broken without you. Like I'm real broke. This isn't just a couple of things. If you get honest with yourself and you see the fact that there's areas that you can't fix, you can't fix. You can hide 
you know, you can hide a withered hand for a while. You can't fix it on your own. This speaks of human brokenness. And yet, the pharisaical way is to look at it and say, you know what? How can we control the very thing that's trying to save us? How can I set this up on my terms? Because Jesus, you know what? If it wasn't the Sabbath, then you could do this. How many people know Jesus could have waited another couple hours if he wanted to? He was doing this on purpose. He wasn't looking at it and going, you know what? Sabbath. This is probably the only time I'm going to see this guy. He could have been like, hey, meet me back here Monday morning. Actually, Sunday morning. He could have just been, hey, meet me back. come, Come tomorrow. No. Jesus stares into their eyes and asks them, is it lawful to bring life or death? See, the deceptive part about religion is this. It makes us feel in control. Religion makes us feel like we're in control. Religion makes us feel like I can do something on my own. That I have the, in, the power to do this. And yet Jesus looks at him and simply says this. Stretch out your hand. Healed. This is God's message of grace to us. And what's amazing about this is imagine if that man sat there and goes, Nah, I'm not interested. I'm not really interested. I'm not going to stretch out my hand. First, he'd, he'd sit back and go, no. Or if he stretched out his other hand. Right, now, I'll, I'll show you this one. Because honestly, at that time, that was probably what that guy was accustomed to. If somebody went for a handshake or however that happened in that culture, I'm sure he wasn't offering his withered hand. Jesus, stretch out your hand. He asks him to do something he cannot do. Jesus confronts our humanity by trying to expose that we need a savior, not a teacher. He exposes our humanity. Unlike other, every other religion which is trying to constantly navigate around our brokenness or su- suppress it, Jesus just goes, no, show me your hand. Show it to me. This is what grace is. This is who Jesus is. He doesn't look at him and say, you know, it's a Sabbath, I can't do it. He doesn't look at him and say, have you been keeping the Sabbath recently? Let's go through the 39 checklist. Hmm? Opens it up, it's like, you qualify. You don't qualify this morning. I'm so thankful that our God doesn't do that. Instead, he looks at him and he says this, I am your Sabbath. And what is he showing us here? Why does he heal him? This is amazing, because, and I, I love this. They were upset at Jesus because they thought Jesus, in his healing, was doing a work. But this is amazing. Jesus doesn't heal, and it's not Jesus working. Jesus is healing. He's not working and breaking the Sabbath. He is the Sabbath. He is rest. Jesus is trying to declare in that moment right here, I'm the perfect image of the Father bringing you back to what the Sabbath was all about. All about what is that union with God. This morning, and I'm going to keep this short just because of the nature of, uh, nature of this subject. I don't want to talk too long. The Sabbath is resting in Him. Hebrews tells us He is our Sabbath. Augustine said this, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. You can't, the harder you try, I remember, I'll say it like this, when I was, uh, I was in first grade, this is a terrible thing to do if you're a first grade teacher, by the way. My teacher brought in Chinese finger traps, the, the little, little finger trap things. Never do that if you teach first grade. That's just a terrible thing to do. 
So like any other first grader in the room, I put my fingers up, whoa, I'm stuck. And you sit there helplessly. Come on, like I'm sitting there, I'm thinking I'm going to be an amputee now, like just have to get the fingers cut off. Because the harder you pull, the tighter it gets. The harder you work, the harder you strive, the more you try to prove. That is the parallel of religion. We don't have the ability to negotiate on the terms that we're dealing with. Like, this is not a similar transaction that we show up with our righteousness, all right, and we're like, you know, yeah, let me just pop this out. You're at the wrong poker table. You're at the wrong table. You're, you're sitting with the big dogs. This isn't, this isn't your game. Go back to the child play. Go back to the kids' table, right? I was ostracized as a child. I had sat at the kids' table many Thanksgiving days. We don't have the ability to negotiate with God. It's on a totally different playing field. Totally different playing field. Our hearts are restless until they rest in you. This is simply all I want you to see this morning is that you can never work hard enough to make God happy with you. Never. Never. You think, well, really? This is just too easy. Is God, you know, some just... God up in the sky that's just, you know, floating around. There's just, you know, a hippie God real happy and just accepts everything. Well, not exactly. Not exactly. There's a story in the book of Acts chapter 17. And I was doing some writing and some reading on this this week. I'm talking about God, our Sabbath. God, our rest. Where we rest our hearts. And in Acts chapter 17, Paul's on a missionary journey. And I'll just recount it very quickly for you. And as he's on this missionary journey, he's waiting for Timothy and Silas to join him. And he goes up on top of Mars Hill. On top of Mars Hill, the scripture tells us that there's altars everywhere. They're set up all over the top of Mars Hill. And as they're set up, what's amazing about this is that the story or history tells us that what they did, the reason that those altars were there is that there was a, uh, a Greek god that, were, that was mad at the people of Athens. So what they did is that they took black and white sheep and they let them loose on the top of this hill. And wherever they stopped, they erected uh, an an altar right there. And that was to the altar of, you know, we're going to try to appease or propitiate to this God who's angry at us. Because for whatever reason, there's a plague going on. We don't know what's happened, so let's just kill a bunch of animals, make a sacrifice... And if we can say that that's, that that's us, that that sacrifice is us, then if that can happen, then it's good. And Paul says that he's walking around the city of Athens and he sees an altar to the unknown God and he gets up and he says this, that which you say is unknown, I proclaim to you today as known. Our God is not a God that is served by human hands as if he needs anything. For our God gives life and breath to everything. In him we live and move and have our being. It says, as some of your poets have said. What's amazing about this is not only what he says, but where he says it. He doesn't just say this and say, you know what, God's not served, you can't serve God. No, where he says it, the hearers right there would have recognized what he's saying is this, that my religion demands that I make a sacrifice to appease God. But the God of Christianity became a sacrifice that we could never do. I don't have to go up and make a sacrifice because he came down and was willingly led like a sheep to the slaughter became a sacrifice for us. Paul wasn't just preaching. He was rebuking them. He wasn't just preaching. He was rebuking. That's amazing. 
this morning. Our Sabbath, our rest. How can you have right relationship with God this morning? How can you lay your head down at sleep and you don't have to, you know, put your head on the pillow and you begin to recount everything you did bad that day? Have you ever done that? And then you try to express that all to God. God, I'm sorry for ABC, all of these things. And then, all right, good. And then you wake up with a clean slate. Listen, that's not the way that this thing works. It doesn't work like that. How can we rest in God? Because God has come and worked for us. How can you rest? Because he's done everything. This morning, my prayer, and I'm closing right now, if I could have the worship team come. Um, my, my, my prayer and my hope for you is this. That perhaps you're with us this morning at City Lights and, and you have no background in religion. Um, maybe you've grown up um, you know, in a home that was agnostic or atheist or you've just kind of backed away from uh, your parents' faith. My, my cry for you this morning is this. You can never run far enough from God. Never run far enough from him. And maybe you're religious. Maybe you've grown up in church or you're constantly, every time something goes wrong, you look at yourself. You get introspective. God, what did I do wrong this week? I'm not reading enough. I'm not praying enough. I'm not doing this enough. Therefore, as if God somehow backs away from you and opens up the floodgates to let all bad things, all hell breaks loose on you. That's that's not, not the way that this thing works. The scripture says his kindness leads us to repentance. God's offering you a rest this morning that you can be in union with him, not on the basis of your work, but on the basis of his finished work. You know, every time we look to our own righteousness rather than Christ's, we simply say this to God, my blood, sweat, and tears is stronger than Jesus's. Every time I go, you know what? I can prove myself to you, God. What I, all I do is I look back at the Father and I go, you know what? Uh, I'm not really sure about that whole Jesus dying on the cross thing. Let me just add a little bit to it. Let me just add, let me just show you what I have. I love this. Jesus wants to expose your humanity this morning. Jesus wants to look at you in the raw, broken, withered hand that you and myself are. He doesn't look and say, you know what, clean yourself up, get a little makeup on, you know, if you can kind of do some hand exercises, and then I'll welcome you back. If you can, you know, I can't really do that. No, he says, stretch out your hand. Show me how broken you are. I love that. Because that's the Savior I need. That's the one I can worship. I can't worship one because I know the sinfulness of my own, my own human heart. I catch myself with the most ridiculous, ridiculous things of envy, of jealousy, of strife. I, I catch that in my heart. I'm not talking about you. And if I, I need a God that I can look at and I can just go, this is who I am. This is it. I'm nasty. I don't just have a withered hand. I have a withered heart. It's broken. But you know what he says? He just simply says, rest. Rest. The first Sabbath, the rest. First Sabbath, Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve fall, rebel. You know who comes to them? God, where are you? Where are you? Right there. That's the voice of the gospel this morning. You've not done too much. You can never do enough. All of us 
all of us. Not on your bad day, on your good day. Scripture says all fall short. That's not like you had a bad day, you know, woke up on the wrong side of the bed. I get off the same side every day. Ah, a rough day. On our best day, let's stand together this morning. If you know Christ as your Savior this morning, I want you to make the boldest declaration as we sing this song. I want you to make the boldest declaration you possibly can to expose our hearts to God this morning and say, Lord, you don't just accept us and keep giving us second, third, fourth try. No, you give us a new heart. You take my heart of stone and give me a new heart.